We have been talking about church as a bride and you as an individual, as a person. And the, and the posture that we need to take or the perspective on life or the way that we come at life during these times that we find ourselves in. And today I want to make no apology to about talking about the church is loved and loving. And actually, talking about love, instantly several defences go up. Because love's tough and you can get hurt in love. And, and also it can be, yeah, I know that, but, but let's get on to the real stuff. But actually, the real stuff is the love of God. And our posture as a church showed that we could keep the message of the love of God and the actual living from that really central in our lives. In the book of Ephesians chapter five, it says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We live from love and we're surrounded as people in the church by the love of God. That's our atmosphere. You know, being a bride is an outcome. It's a process that got you there. And I just want you to pause and reflect for a moment. It took a lot to get you here. As you sit here today, you have a story. And you may want to just think for a moment all what it took to get you here. Kathy and I were reflecting on uh, the other day how many houses we've lived in. And actually, there was a period in our lives where we moved 13 times in 12 years. I just want you to know that we did pay the electric bill. We were just planting churches at the time. I had a friend, and sadly he passed away last year, but he kept a logbook of every car that he owned. And he actually worked out that he'd owned over 32 cars. And I'm thinking, I, I, I said to him, Dave, you absolutely need to get better cars, man, to last you more. But you know, if you think about it, what did it take to get you here? Just reflect on the struggles, the hurts, the journey. It took something to get you here. And moms and dads, I guess, when you think about it, think about all what it took, particularly at the start, to get your children to where they are. Some of you now, and the, some of your children are in university how, how much sacrifice and talks at midnight did you have to have to get them there? You know, it's really important that you know that you were invested in to get you here. In Israel, it says that it took them a lot to get out of Egypt. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says it took testings, Signs and wonders, an outstretched harm, a mighty hand, war, great and awesome deeds. It took all of that to get them out of Egypt. It took you quite a lot to get you here as you sit here today. Don't you agree, church? Just think back on your life just for a moment. And when we say God loves us, we can forget that there was a consequence to that love. Yeah, he loves us, and then finish off the other half of the sentence, and gave himself up for us. Actually, as a bride, we are first and foremost loved with a sacrificial love. That actually, you're bought with blood. Your life to this moment has been 
paid for and purchased by God. And I know that you know that, but it's good as we live in these days. As a bride, you need to know that your relationship with him cost him something, cost him everything. You are an outcome of Jesus' death. We have a sacrificial love that surrounds our life. Now, the implication of this is that we should live with gratitude every day. Because actually, your biggest problem has been solved. Your biggest problem of being separated from God and away from the Father, and, and the sin that you carried, that's been solved. Should you take that invitation today, you don't have to carry around some of the things that are burdening you if you'll just lay them at the foot of the cross. You see, you've got a foundation in your life that you can live from. You don't have to chase significance or, or kind of chase the things that other people are chasing because God can lead you from the fuel and from the platform of that love. This is what he says in Jeremiah. The Lord appeared in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. When, when the Old Testament speaks to Israel, is, uh, in the New Testament we can often say he's speaking to the church in this way. He says, I will build you up again, O virgin Israel. You will be rebuilt and you will take up your timbrels and go out and dance joyfully again because you are a child of love. You're an outcome of love. The whole journey up to now... Jesus being on the cross, sacrificing himself, saying, I love you. We need to learn to live from love. We need to learn to let this love motivate. It's not motivated by power or success or, or acquisition of how much stuff we can stuff in the God-shaped hole in our lives, but like a bride, who, who knows that she's loved, that our first life question should be this, how would what I'm about to do honour the love that I have received in Christ? If I do this thing, would it honour the fact that my life has been purchased and sacrificed for by Christ? Maybe that could be the sort of question that would help us to be more grateful for that love. You see, we've got to learn to live from love instead of all the other motivations of being driven or the next project or this ambition, that ambition. Why don't we begin to tap into the love of God? You see, we say a lot about how much God loves us and we kind of take it for granted. But did you know that your love to him is also a celebrated love by him. That, that when you return love back to him, it, it, he celebrates it. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a book called The Song of Songs. And it's kind of a parable about how much God loves us. This is what it says about you being his bride. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride, you have stolen my heart just with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel from your necklace. You know, just one glance of you to heaven to say, God, I love you, steals his heart. He loves you. And when you return that love, he celebrates you, that love. 
He carries on and says, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine. And the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Just one return of love to him flutters his heart. God never sleeps, but when he, if he woke up in the morning, you'd be the first thing on his mind. I don't know whether God has a fridge, but if he's got a fridge, your picture's on that fridge. He loves you. And when you return that love to him, he celebrates that. He rejoices in that. Psalm 147 says it like this. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor the, his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. God delights in you as his children. We know that we love him by his grace. We know that it isn't by the things that are in, her, in us, but God is so pleased when you return that love to him. We know it's from him. He gives us the ability to love him. But when we choose to return that love to him, he is delighted and begins to celebrate it. And this is what happens. When you return love to God, you attract his presence into your life. You begin to attract the involvement of him into your journey and into your life focus. You see, our lives, God works in the ordinary, sure he does. But if you will return love to him and begin to say, well, well, God, I love you back, your life will become a little less ordinary. And unusually, he will intervene in things and begin to move the markers of your life and change the direction of your life as you learn to love from it and return back to him you invite this really special involvement of God in your life. Why don't you just love him back just right now, just where you are, just say, I love you, Jesus. I just love you, Lord. I just love you, Lord. You see, as we learn to live from love, we also have to learn to live in a, in a type of love that is sealed and exclusive. God doesn't want to share your first ambitions and your first affections. God wants those to be exclusively for him. You see, as you keep this love as the first love in your life, this is the way to live as a bride. As you keep that as your first love, it acts as a fuel and a basis to all the other loves that you're committed to. It's when you keep mixing and matching that those loves that you're committed to begin to go a little bit, what we say in England, pear-shaped. They tend to start getting kinked and you start hurting people because you haven't kept the first love for Jesus as he celebrates you and begins to iron out all the things that would be wrong with the love that you can give if you didn't put his love first. You see, if we reserve this exclusivity to him, it begins to purify everything else. You know, in Song of Songs, it says this about, about your relationship with him. It says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. What God's saying is, I want you for me. I want you for me. 
John the Baptist said it this way. He said about Jesus, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, end of. I want you first, says the Lord. In fact, I believe I should prophesy that over some people here today. I want you first, says the Lord. You see, belonging to God in that way, it's freedom, not oppression. It purifies everything else. We've already got exclusive loves in our lives. If, if I said to Georgina and uh, Mar- Marvick today, I said, can we share Joshua, uh, Jordan? Can we share him? They say, no, he's ours. <laughs> Mind you, there might be days when you think, yeah, please take him. It certainly was with my mother. But we have this exclusive love with our, with our own kids, with our own wives. And, and yet, when it comes to God, we're kind of a little bit reticent to say, well, I want to put God first, but I, but I don't want to be a religious freak or anything. If you put God first, it purifies every other responsible love that you have. And God says, if you'll have me first, I'll build a platform in your life so that you can live from that in a healthy way. Our love for God is supposed to be public. You know, in that we are proclaiming to the world that we are exclusively his. That's why a bride puts on the wedding dress. She puts on a wedding dress and says, this is me. I'm going to be exclusive to that bridegroom. And we need to do that because as we put on those that those garments of character and behavior and our posture to the world that says we are his first. He shapes our character, shapes our behavior and we proclaim to the world that we belong to Christ. At the end of the Bible, there's a book called Revelation and, there's a ch- and, and Jesus writes some letters to some churches there. There's a church in Sardis where the people there were living for God and were, were showing that they had his love first by the way that they acted and by the character that they had. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 4 it says this, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. You've made, they walk with me and they're dressed in white for they are worthy. Their life and their behavior was fueled by the love of God first, that their character had been shaped, their attitudes had been shaped. And as a church, we need to be this kind of bride where we say, I can show you by my life and my love for him that I belong to him first. And then Jesus goes on actually to the church in Sardis where he actually brings these people out first that there were other people in Sardis who were not living out of love. And today my message to you is learn to live from love. It's a sacrificial love. You were bought with a price. It's a celebrated love. He loves it when you return back to him. But it's an exclusive love where he says, be mine first. And in the book of Revelation, it says this to the church in Sardis. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. 
Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it, hold fast to it, and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. We stopped preaching about the second coming of the Lord, and I want to bring it back on the agenda. I want to live in such a way that the God is not going to catch me by surprise when he returns. Who's with me on that? Amen. Now, in Sardis, there were some people, they were living from a reputation. They had the reputation of being spiritually alive, but in reality, their spiritual situation is they weren't alive. We've got to be very careful with our lives of going through the motions where we look like we're alive, we look like we're worshiping, we look like we're we're kind of living it, but actually, The reality is that we're not really hearing what God is saying. You know, we've got to stop just commenting about our opinion about what's going on or, or what things should be like, but actually, are we hearing what God is saying? There's a difference between reputation and reality. We have to have an active hearing of what the Lord is saying. A word of God that says, yeah, that is God's word. Others in this, in this church, they were not following through on where they have found life. They left lots of things unfinished and they become distracted. They'd started some good things and yet they become distracted at the latest thing. And we've got to be careful that we begin to say, well, God, you are first and I'm following through. Are the things that you've been called for that have just been left unfinished? There are in my life. It's time to finish. It's time to follow through. It's time to follow through and be the best husband that you could possibly be. You know, you're not on the honeymoon any longer. You're in the marriage. But it's time to have the same enthusiasm as when you were on the honeymoon. It's time to follow through and to finish some things. You see, the whole idea in Revelation, the idea when when Jesus says, wake up, actually what, what he's mean is see the reality of things. See how you really are as a Christian. See where they're at. You see, we not only live in this sacrificial love and this celebrated love, but this exclusive love that shapes our character, but... You know, we also have a love that we should share. If we learn to live from love, we can't help but share that love. Quite simply, if you learn and begin to live from this love, you want others to know it. You begin to share it. Your life becomes an invitation to others to the fact that we have been loved and we are loving and to the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus and his spirit. And this is the great thing. You and the Holy Spirit begin to partner so that your voice and his voice begin to call out at the same time. You see, he calls people and invites you and your voice to join in with his. Hey, 
Listen to this with me. In Revelation, it says this, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Come on, say it with me. And the spirit and the bride say, come. come. And, all, and let all who hear say, come. come. And let the one who's thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of life, come. See, that's your invitation to people. Your life should be come. Come on, come and join in with this. And that's why, you know, I really want to encourage you to take up the challenge of prayer, care, and share. Do you start praying for some people and see what God does? Do you start doing some acts of kindness to them and, and see what God does? That you actually learn how to share the gospel because if you receive such a great love, surely we should share it. Amen? As a bride... We need to learn to live from love. Where are you living from? Is it, oh, I just gotta get that next thing. Don't live from that. What about in our community here? I gotta just do that. You gotta learn to live from love. Where you say, This is a sacrificial love, so I'm going to be grateful that God's poured out everything on me. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come back. That God actually says to us, I gave everything for you. Somebody steals your parking place. Is that really the biggest deal in the world? Really? You see, when you live from love, if somebody steals your parking place, you can say, you know what? I'm still saved. At that moment, you don't feel saved, but you are. You see, if we could begin to learn to live from a sacrificial love, then we begin to be grateful. If we could learn to live from a celebrated love where we know that every time we return love back to him, that he begins to celebrate that and then he comes closer to us and we attract his involvement in our lives. Why don't you stand with me just for a moment? I wonder if we could learn to live from an exclusive love. A love where it shapes our character and shapes the way that we approach life. That, that we begin to say, well, I've placed you first and because I've placed you first. You see, Jesus is first in my life and Kathy's not first in my life, but because Jesus is first in my life, Kathy gets blessed the most because Jesus is first in my life. You've got to keep that love first. And I just wonder if we looked at the throne of your heart which idol would be there, which little child might be there, and you say, oh, surely as a mother, I've got to put my children first. No, but as a mother, you've got to put Jesus first, because then you'll be the best mother you can ever be. And if you'll keep it that way, if you'll, if you'll do that exclusivity of love, and you know, if we looked at the throne of your heart and the words job wouldn't be there, but Christ would be there. And that that would be the exclusive and first love for you. 
then your character would be shaped and all other loves that you're supposed to pour out would be pure, would begin to be healthy, wouldn't kink people on the way. And it's a love that is meant to be shared. That actually, no matter how tough it is, and no matter how hard life gets, that actually you can still share something of the love of God and you begin to partner with the Holy Spirit and you sense His voice in the supermarket. You're praising Him and thanking Him and worshiping Him. And then you sense that you need to go and speak to somebody, even in the supermarket. You're not being weird, you're being directed by the love of God because somebody needs to hear the love that you had. You know what? I, I was uh, reading a, a kind of a, a manual, a book thing, and, it, and I've came across a letter from an African pastor that had had a difficult time. And I think he'd actually been martyred and then he left this letter in his house and I wanna just read it to you. He said, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. Anybody with us, amen? He said, the die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure, secure and I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarf goals. Somebody say amen. He said, my face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is in heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, but my companions might be few, but I'll, my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until we stayed up, stored up, prayed up for the cause of Jesus Christ. How many of you are with us on that? And then he went on and said, I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until everybody knows, work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no trouble recognizing me because my banner will be clear because the banner over me is love. Amen and amen and amen. Somebody give him a shout. by the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid for you. You are His bride. Somebody give Him praise. Every time, every time you pray, every time you lift up your eyes to heaven, His heart flutters and says, I love you, my child. He's there for you. We need to learn to live from love. Stop living from everything else. He loves you. He loves me. He loves this church. He loves this church. He loves, he loves the journey of this church, the people of this church, the mission of this church. And we must not give up. In these times, I want to live from love. I don't want to live from ambition. I don't want to live from greed. I don't want to live for chasing the next Apple product. 
I want to live from love. Or the next Android product, sorry. It's time to learn to live from love. Come on, give him a clap offering the Lord. Love you.